This is the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan. We have a lot of stuff to get into today, and it will be primarily about one individual. Rate, review, and subscribe the show first, right? We got to tell everybody, Adam, to rate, review, and subscribe the show. That's how people learn about the product, how they share it and tell all their friends. And that's how we grow this bad boy. That's what we need people to do. We are a perfect 5.0 on iTunes right now. That is true. We have a, what, is there an analytics score in the NHL world that would tell us that how, how good that is? I think it's pretty good on its own. Our ratings adjusted for defensive efficiency is <laughs> really, really high. Uh, and also, subscribe to The Athletic, of course. Yes. Make sure you pay for good journalism. And they got all kinds of cool special deals all the time. So you can always get good deals. And uh, it keeps really good good journalism up and running, sports journalism up and running in this country for sure. I also don't think iTunes exists anymore. I think it's just now Apple Music and Apple Podcasts, etc. That is true. Mm. It will always be iTunes to me. Does that make us boomers? Because we're both millennials, technically. I used to buy the the Apple iTunes gift cards at the store where you scratched off the code on the back and then put it into the system so you could actually buy music. Yes, I actually used to pay for music. This will be the really big decider between the two of us, though. Mm. Were you... Did you ever get the the fold-out three pieces of cardboard paper with the 500 CDs on it that you could order if you joined the the... The club, you get to pick 12 free, and you check it off into little boxes by hand with a pencil, fold it, put it in an envelope, send it off to start your subscription. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely not. Okay. I'm officially now a boomer. I was, I, I was I, born a millennial. I've now officially <laughs> transitioned. I grew up in the in the Napster LimeWire lime age. Oh, I had, I had LimeWire in college. <laughs> I ate LimeWire in like middle school. Yeah, yeah, that's the difference between, between yeah. us. All right, so aside from making me feel old today, we've got a lot to do on the show. David Poyle is the focus of the program. And we are going to go through systematically and look at every aspect of a general manager's job in the NHL and evaluate what we think David Poyle has accomplished in each of those roles. Then we will give you, after the evaluation, a final exam of David Poyle, for lack of a better term, in keeping with our school grading theme here on the show, Adam, and and explain what we think should happen or what could happen with the National Predators front office moving forward. So we've got a lot to get to, but I think we need to start, Adam, and and you sort of experience this, experience this in real time. I used to in the form of, of callers, but you experienced this in the form of reaction to your stories, both written and on social media, that there is a particular feeling about David Poyle in this Nashville Predators fan base currently. Yes, and it, it should be said before beforehand, it should be prefaced by the fact that Twitter and the comment section of The Athletic are echo chambers, and typically social media is not a accurate reflection of a fan base's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's sort of like, how do they feel writ large versus how do the most passionate people feel, yes, right? Yes, yes, exactly. It's not exactly a word, but... <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. I couldn't come up with a word. So. Would you call the comment section anecdotal, though? I don't know if that's the case. Mm, I'm not sure what you mean. But like, one person's overreaction in a comment section or social media post is not representative of the entire fan base. Correct. But it's also not completely disregarded. Correct. I guess that's true. But the the point being, the ultimate point being, 
that I have noticed on social media and in the comments of my articles, especially over the past two months since the Predators were eliminated from the qualifying round in August, that there is a lot of anti-David Poyle sentiment bubbling underneath the surface. There seems to be a lot of comments, as I said, both on my stories and on my Twitter feed, that it is time for David Poyle to go, that he has done a lot for the franchise, that he should be you know, lauded for turning the Predators from a small market expansion team into a regular season powerhouse, but the game has passed him by and it's time for him to go in some form or fashion. And it got me thinking about it got me thinking about why that seems to be happening. Now, of course, the easy answer is that the Predators have been backsliding over the past couple of years. And typically, under these situations, coaches, general managers, are typically on the hot seat. Of course, David Poyle is unique in the sense that he is the only general manager this team has ever had in 20 plus years. Um, he literally laid the foundation for this franchise. So was he actually there mixing concrete? You think if I recall, Barry, if I been. recall Barry Trotz, uh, Barry Trotz telling it like he and David Poyle were, you know, went as far as like picking the, the carpeting in the, in the <laughs> team offices. That counts. So I think he literally laid the foundation. He was not out there in a hard hat. <laughs> With a cement mixer. Working on rebar. Right. But <laughs> he made this franchise what it is today. And without him, it would not have been possible. But I think because of that unique situation, perhaps, and this is simply hypothetical, perhaps he has been given more chances than a typical GM would be given under the circumstances. Okay. And I think... There are fans who just don't feel that David Poyle is the right person to lead this team back in the direction it seemed to be going a few years ago. So it got me thinking about, you know, why it got me thinking about why that is. And is it as simple as I just explained, or is it more complicated? And, you know, how should we evaluate David's? job as GM and that's, that's what, what we're going to do. That's what we are here to do. Now, I also want to make clear, we will give you our answers to what should happen with the Nashville Predators and David Poyle moving forward, but the point of this show is not to have Adam and I yell at each other about should the Predators fire David Poyle. That is not what this program is about. That's not how you work. That's not how I work. What, what our goal on this particular episode of this show is to lay out as much information as possible for Nashville Predators fans to take in, consume, digest, think through, and then make their own opinions about what they want their general manager to be moving forward. We will give you our opinions at the end, and, and I'll give you what I think should happen, and you know it, that's really not that important. What matters is you have all of the information. Through this conversation of evaluation of David Poyle, we want to give you all the information you can have to make your own educated opinion about what you think your favorite hockey team should do with their general manager. Sound fair? If Are you talking to me or the listeners? Well, both. 
<laughs> of course, it's fair to me because we agreed to it. All right. Yes, exactly. Yes. So let's run through some of the big categories of how you would evaluate a general manager. Number one, trades. We'll get to that. We'll go through free agent signings and evaluation of free agents. We'll look at the draft history of David Poyle and what he's done for the Nashville Predators. Coaching decisions. We will get through coaching decisions and how all of that has been handled. I think the AHL is a part of this. The development system is a part of winning hockey and being a good hockey team. So that's a part of this. And then I think re-signings is one we can kind of slip in there. I don't think that's like PE as far as subjects go. It's not really like history or English or math, but re-signings has been a thing that we can address. Did he re-sign the right players or not? I think that's uh, an important element to that. All right. So we'll go through and we'll give a (laughs) grade-ish, mostly just talk about how good he's done or how bad he's done or what he's done in these particular categories. And then again, we will give you our sort of final exam verdict at the end of all of it. Let's, you want to start with trades? Yes. Let's start with trades because like all of these subjects of evaluation of David Boyle, it is not as easy as yes or no. (laughs) It's not that clean cut. Some trades have been very, very good. Some trades were very good for a short period of time. Some trades were very good for a long period of time. Some trades were terrible at the beginning and have gotten better. Some trades were terrible at the beginning and are still terrible. So it's not just as simple as good or bad. What time frame do you think is important for fans to use to evaluate all these subjects? I would like to start with the January 6th, 2016 trade that sent Seth Jones to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Ryan Johansson. So everything then we, since then is on the table. Everything since then is on the table. Okay, so that would include a Stanley Cup run, yes. the President's Trophy, another trip to the playoffs, blah, 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 all the stuff. Yes. I would give David, hmm, I would give David maybe a B minus to a C plus. That's, uh, I had a C plus written down. Slightly, uh, slightly above average. Okay. Because the Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson trade is the rare, it works out for both sides kind of trade. Now, I know someone listening is immediately going to go, man, I wish we still had Seth Jones on this team instead of Ryan Johansson. And that may be true. They wouldn't have gone to the cup without Ryan Johansson. Seth Seth Jones is turning into a Norris Trophy winner in front of our eyes. Seth Jones wasn't going to be given the opportunity that he found in Columbus in Nashville at the time they made that trade. The Predators did not have a number one center in his prime like Ryan Johansson when they made that trade. Or, or ever. Or ever. Because you think of the top centers this team has had over the years throughout franchise history, and none at the time had the pedigree, had the potential that Ryan Johansson had. With all due respect to someone like David Legwand, he was never going to be an elite number one center. Have I, have I ever given, this is an aside, have I ever given you my spiel on David Legwand? No. This is fairly quick here. I cannot decide, and you can be the deciding factor if you want, because I've struggled with this my entire life. David Legwand is either the best shitty player of all time or the shittiest best player of all time. Does I, that is that a fair... <laughs> it sounds unfair, but it's really not meant to be. At the end of the day, David Legwand is still... The Predators' all-time leading goal scorer. So take take that for what it's worth. And there are a lot of issues with the fact that David Legwan continues to be this team's leading goal scorer in franchise history. So is he I a digress. bad good player or a good bad player? 
You know, I never really watched <laughs> David Legwand in his prime, so I can't say. Um, you want to know a true story about David Legwand? Sure. Wrote a check for my parents' house. A check? Yes, wrote a check. My dad worked 35 years to buy a house that he bought in down in Franklin. And David Legwand, at like 23 years old, wrote a check to him for it and bought the house. Because they were selling it and they were moving. So David Legwand lived in your childhood house? Not my childhood house, but like my high school house, yeah. Interesting. I yeah. wonder if he came across any stuff that you might not want <laughs> maybe on the roof i don't know i, don't know, the, <laughs> I the, was in high school the you stack things? of playboys no no maybe maybe a few things maybe a few uh cigarette butts on the roof that i wasn't supposed to be smoking or whatever hmm. um anyway anyway we so, all digress right so you go <laughs> you fast forward five months and of course the 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 trade of all trades shea weber for pk suban and that trade Worked out well for the Predators. PK was made an instant impact. Shea Weber is now, of course, the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, but his first two years there were not good. He was hurt. The team wasn't very good. The Predators clearly came out on top of that trade in the short term. I, I will say this. Those are the two trades that, as a Predators fan at the time, because I was not working covering the team at that moment, I was still sort of in my wearing my fan hat at that time. When I heard the Seth Jones news, I was genuinely pissed off. <laughs> Not because I knew anything about Ryan Johansson. I was just genuinely pissed off about Seth Jones because I, I just, you could see the, I mean, the talent was dripping off of this player from the second he got to Nashville. The other moment was when I heard that Shea Weber had been traded. Again, both happened before I started covering the team. Those are the two moments where I just felt like this weird thing in my stomach about being a fan. I think... The Predators do not go to the Cup with either of those two trades not happening. Without P.K. Subban and Ryan Johansson, they don't go to the Cup. I would agree with that. And outside of those trades, there have been some smaller ones over the years. You think of some of the trades the Predators made leading into that Cup run, trading for Vernon Fiddler, trading for P.A. Parento, you know, moves that don't necessarily move the needle, trading for Cody McLeod, the first time they have actually traded for <laughs> Cody McLeod twice, which might bring David's grade down the smidge. Yeah, yeah. But the point being is that since that PK Subban trade, and I have the, the list of recent trades in front of me, and, and Braden, you can tell me if, if I'm missing something. But since that trade, I can't think of a notable trade that David Poyle has made that he ended up on the right side of. And by notable, I yeah. mean... Kyle Turris, I mean Ryan Hartman, I mean Wayne gave, gave up a first round pick for Ryan Hartman, right? Yes, they did. Uh, Wayne Simmons, perhaps. Um, Brian Boyle was a good trade. I I like. I thought Brian Boyle was a savvy move. Ultimately, he did not stick around past past that season, but that's of no fault of his own. And to your point, if we're talking about what's the good trade, is the one where they got the fourth line center on the trade deadline. Like that's. You know, like if that's the best trade we're finding here, you're, you're, I think your point is proven. Right. Oh, don't forget about the Mikhail Granlin for Kevin Fiala trade. Yes. That's not looking so good right now either. Well, but Mikhail Granlin is such a hot commodity. Yes. So. But I think since 2016, since the PK Subban trade, yeah. David Poyle has not made a notable trade. And that, again, by that I mean not a, a, a minor league trade, not a bottom six right. move kind of trade. Right. A, a trade that involves a bigger player, a first-round draft pick, you know, going one way or the other, uh, uh, you know, what have you. 
he has not come out on the right side of any trade. What about the P.K. Subban uh, trade away? Is that a positive move? I mean, he got a lot of cap space out of the deal. It was a positive move in the sense that he was able to get rid of all of P.K. Subban's cap hit and received two second-round picks from it and received Jeremy Davies, who they figure to be a part of their future, but they bought out Steven Santini, who was a throw-in in that trade. Um, they bought him out on the same day they bought out Kyle Turris. So that was really just a salary dump, and that was probably the best they were going to do for P.K. Subban, especially because the New Jersey Devils were the only team that was willing to take on P.K.'s entire salary cap hit. So I guess it's a win because then they use the money to sign Matt Duchesne, which is a conversation that we're going to (laughs) get into in free agents. Um, But... You know, for you know, I think of even the the most recent trade. I, I think of the Nick Bonino trade. I, I think Nick Bonino was, as we've discussed, the Predators' best trade asset. And with respect to Luke Cunning, I I thought that Nick Bonino might have fetched them something. I think we talked about this last time. Yeah. Might have fetched them something more significant than and, Luke Cunning, and had to give up draft capital as well as yes. as Nick Bonino in that trade. I I would say you're right. I think the two big. If we're gonna start with the Seth Jones trade. I think you, and this is going to be a theme, I think. Everything's going to sound and feel like it was pretty smart in 2016 and 2017. And then again, I will make the argument that starting with the tourist trade, that's when you start to look at things and go, it's not as good since then. So that'll be the, again, if you're going with the, the two big moves that got them to the cup, he gets an A minus or something in that territory. If you're talking about every move since then, it, not so much. Now, you know, Forsberg was acquired you know, in a trade for basically nothing, you know, with the Martin Erat deal. That was well before 2016, right? That was back in like 2012. So um, that that's a long time ago. That's a decade, almost a decade ago. I think generally he's been pretty good. I think his recent track record has brought his grade down. Agreed. Okay. So I'm going, I'm good with the C plus B minus territory. It sounds like we're in there. Free agent signings. Well, the Predators typically don't do a ton of big game hunting and free agency. I mean, Matt Duchesne, of course, signed a seven-year, $56 million contract last summer. But outside of that, there aren't a ton of big free agent moves that David has made in recent years. Um, You think of Nick Bonino, of course, signed in 2017. Big positive, in my opinion. I think he ultimately got to a place where he played himself into, okay, this seems like a reasonable salary for a player of his production. But at first it was a mass. It felt like a massive overpay. But I think Nick Bonino did enough over the course of the three of the four years that it looked better in hindsight. But then you have, you know, you know, signing Scott Hartnell after he was bought out by the, by the Columbus blue jackets three years ago. And you have, I'm trying to think of. Other I felt signings. like he was he was of value to the Predators in that in that ga- that series against Winnipeg. Peter Laviolette did not deploy him correctly, perhaps, but I thought he was of value. That was a cheap deal. Do you count? I guess Mike Fisher would count as a re-signing, right? Coming out of retirement, I suppose that wouldn't be a free agent signing. Here's right. a, here's another interesting angle to the tourist trade. It kind of counts as both, Adam, because t- you could argue that tourist brings down his grade in both the trade category and the free agent category. Because it was a sign-and-trade, right? The six-year, $36 million deal was part of the trade to get Kyle Turris. So is he not count as big game hunting in the in the free agent market, too? Yeah, that's too? a good question if you count that towards the trade or towards the free agent. But, you know, I think 
I, I think back to you know Rocco Grimaldi and has been an incredibly savvy signing. Yes. For for the Predators, but you know he was on the scrap heap when they found him. It wasn't as if though they had to shell right. out a lot of cash, but Rocco has turned into a a, a very important uh, component of this team. And 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 I'm looking through the signings. There really haven't been any major free agent signings other than Matt Duchesne, and then to an extent Nick Bonino. Yeah, those are the two over big ones. the past five or six years. So I think. You know, I would probably, I mean, again, I would probably put it slightly above to average, you know, just because that's not typically how David builds his teams in terms of signing top six players in free agency. There's less, uh, there's less highs and fewer lows in the, in the free agent signing. Whereas right. with the trades, you can see some really nice ones, but also some dumpy, dumpy ones. Right. I, I think David Poyle does better work via trade than he does okay. through free agency. And um, you even look at this past offseason earlier this month as the perfect example. I mean, none of the players he signed in free agency are huge names. None of them cost a lot of money. You know, I think, you know, Borowiecki was $2 million and and Benning was $1 million, right? And and Cousins was one and a half, and and Richardson was one. I mean, their depth low risk signings. Right. And I feel like David Poyle has done a fairly decent job of that, but in terms of the huge signings, that's typically not his MO. Yeah, that, that's true, which which is what puts more weight on Matt Duchesne having to be good and living up to the contract. Exactly. Because that is his big name, that's his big ticket item that he went and got as far as free agency. And again, I would count Turris. Unfortunately, Turris hangs around his neck like an albatross in almost every category, unfortunately, which is kind of unfair to Turris. But hey, you're the guy who made the move, David Poyle. There's no question about that. All right. Let's. So what were you saying? Another C plus B minus ish territory? Maybe a B this time. Okay, I'm good with that. Drafting players. This one is super complicated to me because they have such a good track record of finding talent. Some of those pieces have been shipped away (laughs) and traded elsewhere. Namely, Seth Jones, Sam Gerrard, Kevin Fiala, the big three. But you also get credit for picking out those players and drafting those players and having those players make it to your roster. Yes, there is credit in that. And, of course, the Predators have become well-known for their ability to draft and develop defensemen and goaltenders. I mean, their, their record of drafting and developing defensemen is you know, perhaps a second to none in recent, you know, in the past couple of decades since they've been in the league. Uh, of course, we talked about Seth Jones, there's Shea Weber, there's Ryan Suter, there's Roman Yossi, there's Ryan Ellis, it's there's Matias Ekholm, there's yeah. Dante Fabro. Um, Sam Gerrard counts. Sam Gerrard. The, there are plenty of former and current Predators defensemen on either on other teams or on their, their roster right now that are playing very well and having long, Productive careers. Um, so I think uh, in terms of defensemen, and I guess goaltenders too, because you find Pecorine yep. in what, the eighth round? You find UC Saros in the fourth round. Um, you know, there there's a lot to there's a lot to like about their forward and goaltending development. And that... D- defensemen and goaltending. Defensemen, sorry. Yeah. Defensemen yeah. and goaltending. We'll get to the forwards. We will second. get to the forwards. The, their defensemen and goaltending... Uh, drafting and developing, I would give them high marks for that. You know, I would probably give them an A or an A minus. Yes, very, um, very high. But 
when it comes to the forwards, that's a different story. You know, the, the Predators have struggled in their history to draft and develop high-end impact forwards. And they've had some of them. Um, a lot of them have been come via trade. Now, you talked about the—we talked about this before we started recording, and it sort of goes back to your point about Kyle Turris. Philip Forsberg was drafted by the Washington Capitals and a couple of seasons later was traded to the Predators. He got his start in North America with the Predators organization. Right. So do you count Forsberg in the development in the development conversation of mm. the forwards? Or do you say, well, he was a trade acquisition, he was not selected by the Predators, so that doesn't count? If you're being technical, you would say no, he doesn't count. Um I think Kelly Yarncroke, right, would fall into that category yes, as well. Yes, because he was in a trade. He was actually speaking of David Legwand. He was yeah. part of the David Legwand trade to Detroit. Kelly was the, the 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 hot prospect on the other side. Second David Legwand side note of the podcast. Okay. Was, was it a coin flip that gave Vincent LeCavalier to the Tampa Bay Lightning? It's, it sounds familiar, but I can't say definitively. I cannot remember that either, but I just imagine the difference between those two players and getting to pick second versus picking first. I have always thought that the franchise would have been different if they got LeCavalier, who won a cup with the Lightning. Well, I don't. Maybe I'm overreacting to a, a coin flip or whatever it was that decided who got first pick and second pick. Well, I remember that that's a game that we always like to play. <laughs> is what would have happened if the if the if Team X would have drafted this player instead of this player? So you mentioned, we've talked about Seth Jones. He went fourth in the draft in 2013. The first three picks in that draft, Nathan McKinnon, Alex Barkov, and Jonathan Drouin. Imagine if the Predators would have ended up with Barkov instead of Seth Jones. We'd be having a much different conversation, assuming Barkov had the same career with the Predators that he's had with the Panthers. The only reason that one's... Because I think you could do that with every team in every sport in every draft. But I the, tend not to like those stories. I, where, I agree uh, with you, you know. but this one, because it was the first pick, right? It was the expansion pick. You were going to be the, it was the first player picked and it felt like there was a significant drop off from first to second. And one team got the first pick, one team got the second pick through no fault of anybody's. And it just worked out that way. Again, like you said, Legwand has a lot of records. Vinny LeCavalier has a cup. That's all. Um, all right. So sorry about that side note there. And back to the, the Forsberg question. Could you argue in forwards and drafting with David Poyle? Could you argue that Alexander Radulov is the best forward David Poyle has ever drafted? Outside of Victor Arvidsson. He might be. Um, I'm now searching through. And and is that all you need to know Uh, about this conversation? It's probably the all we need to know about this conversation. (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm looking through their draft history right now. Um, I mean, Philip Tomasino, without playing a game, is already among the better forward draft picks he's ever made. Well, what's interesting is here's here's the here's the trivia question for the listeners at home: Which NHL forward, either which NHL forward, is the highest? Okay, let me rephrase this: Of NHL forwards drafted by the Predators, <laughs> who is the highest scoring forward? And that, and that, like, like in, for their career? For their career. And it doesn't have to be just with the Predators. Oh, it for ha- anybody? With For anybody. In oh. terms of goal scoring. Which goal scoring. Predators drafted forward. Craig Smith. No. 
Scott Hartnell. Oh, that's right. That's right. Scott Hartnell has scored scored 327 goals in his nearly 1300 game career. Of course, he is now retired. With all lot, respect to, with hockey. all respect to Scott Hartnell, who we both love, <laughs> great 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 guy, yes. fun to watch on the ice. He probably should not be the highest scoring forward you've ever drafted. Also drafted I think at like 18, right? Like got into the league yes, pretty he early. Was, he was one of the very young. He's one of the youngest players to debut for the Predators in their history. Yeah, but, the, the list of so on the current roster because we could do this a few different ways. <laughs> it's, none of it are going to work out well. The 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 first and easiest way to do it is who on the current roster was drafted by the Nashville Predators? <laughs> Which forwards? And it's Victor Arvidsson and Colton Sissons. And that's about it. That sounds right. I mean, Rem Pitlick could work his way in. In terms of in know. terms of established NHL right. players, it's currently Victor Arvidsson and Colton Sissons. That's it. Yeah, because so, Forsberg was a trade. Yep. Johansson was a trade. Duchesne was a free agent signing. Uh, Tolvanen technically could be. Tolvanen could be as a, as a draftee. And he's earmarked for the second line. So let's Grimaldi, assume Grimaldi was a free agent signing. And then Trennan would count. Trennan was a draftee. Okay. Um, and so then, of course, Matt Benning, Nick, I mean, excuse me, Nick Cousins, not Matt Benning, Nick Cousins, Brad Richardson, both recently signed via free agency. So, and they, they traded Austin Watson, who was a first round pick of theirs as well. Um, so I'm looking at the, the leading goal scores in predator, like the leading goal scores among predators drafted players. Scott Hartnell is one at 327 goals Two, And maybe this is an argument you can make in terms of best predators drafted forward. Patrick Hornquist. Yeah. He's had a hell of a career. Yes. Particularly since leaving Nashville. He, he's not a better player than rattle off though. No, but he's been very productive. Then you have David Legwand. Then you have Martin Erat. This is enough of this. Then you have Craig Smith. Enough of this. Then you have Scotty Upshaw. Stop it. Then you have Alex Radulov. Then you have Victor Arvidsson. Then you have Colin Wilson. Oh God. So the the Predators' record of drafting high impact forwards. I mean, you think of the you think of you know part of that is that the Predators, especially in recent years, haven't been bad enough to to draft high enough to get one of those game-changing players. I mean, they had the opportunity this past summer because of the the quirkiness of the draft lottery to get to number 1, they ultimately didn't. But you think of these you think of these forwards around the league, these franchise forwards. But they all they all go top 5. Right. But like like Nathan Taves, like Kane, Nathan McKinnon, Taves, they all go yeah, top 5. Nathan McKinnon, Jonathan Taves, Eichel and Patrick McDavid, Kane, Jake, yeah. Jack Eichel, Crosby, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny yep, Malkin, yep. Alex Ovechkin, Nick Backstrom. You know, these They these, go one and two. Yeah, the Predators have not been bad enough to get up there. So that's working against them and I will give, perhaps give them more credit because of that. And they have done a good job of mining the mid to later rounds and finding productive players. Their all-time single season goal scoring leader was a fourth round draft. Was pick. a fourth round draft pick. Exactly. So But there is some this is not all doom and gloom. It's not. But if if you are a Predators fan, you know, you want your team to pick one of those high-end forwards. You have to be really bad to yeah. do it. That's the problem. So that's the question you have to ask. Are you willing to sacrifice a season to be so bad to get one of those picks? So, I don't know. On the whole, I think it's A-plus for, for, for blue liners and defensemen drafting under David Poyle. 
It's B plus, A minus for goaltending. And can I tell you what the grade is after I see Ellie Tolvanen and Philip Tomasino play a couple years? Right now, you know? it's probably like a C minus. Or lower. Or lower. Um, C minus might be generous. I'm a generous grader. Okay. okay. Um, nice curve there. But, yeah, it, it's when you look at this team as constructed, it's at, at up front, it's basically free agencies and trades. Yep. And, you know, luckily for the Predators, they've done such an excellent job you know, all top their top four defensemen are all homegrown products. Yep. I mean, that's really good. And they're and they're two goaltenders. So like, yes. if you look at the the core of the team, which is the top line, Duchesne, the four defensemen, and the two goaltenders. You know, you've got six of those guys with Arvidsson as as quote unquote homegrown. Now, if Colton Sissons and Ellie Tolvanen are playing on the second line all year with Arvidsson, then you're talking about half of your top six being drafted and homegrown. The question is how many wins and goals does that produce? And that's the question we don't have an answer to yet. So no. uh, I'd say overall, I'm going to go B, B plus. I think from the forward standpoint, it's really bad. From a defense and goaltending standpoint, it's pretty good. And that's not new revolutionary information there. But really working through the forwards and, and looking at the numbers and the stats is pretty pretty eye-opening <laughs> when you look I at mean, that. Like I said, but they're also in the playoffs every year. Right. You don't get to pick Sidney Crosby if you're in the playoffs every year. Like I said, the fact that David Legwand continues to be this team's all-time leading goal scorer tells you everything yeah, you yeah. need to know. Well, And how bad did the Blackhawks have to be to get both Taves and Kane? Really bad. Like, really bad. Their games weren't even broadcast in right. Chicago bad. Yeah, that's bad. So that's how bad they had to be. All right. I will go back a little further for the coaching portion of the evaluation of David well, Poyle. It's very easy because there are only three of them. Well, but it has to. to me, I'm going to take trots out of it. Okay. I'm going to start with the decision to move on from Trotz to Laviolette and the decision to move on from Laviolette and to, to, to bring in John Hines. I'll say, th- I'll say this. I think David Poyle, and this is what I appreciate out of decision makers in every sport. If you are going to move on a head coach, fire a head coach or let him walk away or whatever, don't do it just to do it. And this is the same message I would have for the National Predators fans about David Poyle. Don't fire someone just to fire them. Fire them because you have a plan in place that you want to execute. And it felt like David Poyle's plan when he moved on from Barry Trotz was very clear, and he executed it. And in theory, it worked for a short period of time. It felt like his plan to fire Peter Laviolette and move on to John Hines was, we don't know what the answer is going to be, right or wrong, but we know that it happened very specifically, right? Because he was hired how many days later? The next day. The next day. So as far as having a plan and executing... I think both of those coaching moves, you have to give credit to David Poyle for having the plan and executing. It worked for a short term with, with Peter Laviolette. We have no clue, of course, with John Hines. What, where do you stand on, on those two coaching maneuvers by David Poyle? I think, and I, and I wrote about this, I wrote about this at the beginning of September, you know, the idea of what, what we talked about it, what would have happened if the Predators never moved on from Barry Trotz. Um, but at the time, the decision to move on from Barry Trotz and, and hire Peter Laviolette, as you said, there was a clear direction. The Predators wanted to be a more aggressive, offensive-minded team, and Peter was able to get that out of them. And the results, as we've talked about at length with Peter Laviolette, they were great right out of the gate. Um and so I, I think it's hard not to see that decision, especially when you consider all of the success that they had, unparalleled franchise success under Peter Laviolette. Ultimately, although it did not end well, it still 
brought the predators to a different level, a higher level. So it is hard. So, I mean, I, I think David Poyle made the right choice to hire Peter Laviolette. Now, I, it's hard to grade John Hines just because we have such a small sample size. But I, I think one thing that we talked to, we started this podcast about, you know, about the fans reaction and we are a podcast for the fans is the, the fact that David Poyle knew immediately who he wanted to hire. Right. There was no, there was a plan. There was no downtime. It was Peter was fired on a Monday night. I think it was. And on Tuesday morning slash afternoon, John Hines was unveiled as the predators new head coach. I was not in the state of Tennessee when that happened. Actually. I was getting my eyes checked when Peter was fired. Um, so <laughs> luckily I, I did not have them dilated. Um, but the computer screen would have been rough. Yes. But I was at my grandfather's funeral. Oh, no, <laughs> no, I, no, I, he had, a, he led a wonderful life and he was very old and it was awesome. And he's a great guy and we got a great time remember, remembering him. And it was nothing but positives. I will say this. I was glad I wasn't in town to have to talk about it <laughs> on uh, Monday or Tuesday. I think it was a Monday or Tuesday. It, it was a Monday that he was fired yeah, yeah. because they went to, they lost the winter classic, played two games in Southern California, I think Saturday, Sunday, back to back. And then I, he was fired on Monday when they returned. It's, it's so weird as, as reporters, writers, radio people that we remember certain details about this and, you know, having worked at the, you know, at the flagship station for the, the Preds radio broadcast, like not having to talk about the coach getting fired the day before, the day of, or the day after is a very strange memory for me, but I know exactly why it happened. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was very interesting. Uh, all right. Coaching the plan in place is good. Can't really grade him on John Hines yet. We'll all learn that one together. Um, but it does feel like, I think there was a, there was a sentiment. I'm sorry to interrupt. There was a sentiment that why did the predators rush to hire John Hines? Why did they not, slap the interim tag on somebody let them finish the season and then have a search after the season do you think it's because he had been fired and he was available that they felt the need to move quickly perhaps because he had been fired in early december so he was only out of a job for about a month but um what what you don't want what the reason i asked that adam is what you do not want is for the preds to rush a move to fire one coach because this other guy happens to be available, right? Like, that's not what you want. You want it to be because he is the guy. Like, that's the only reason you hire somebody is because he's the guy. Exactly. And there were connections in the Predators front office with John Hines. Um, And look, I I think John Hines is a good coach, and I'm really interested in seeing um, what will happen under a, you know, I, I say a full season, but we don't even know how, when yeah. the season's going to start. It, it'll feel more normal though. Right. But I, I think it was, you look at the, we talked about this last time. You look at the team they've assembled, um, the moves they have made, and it looks more like a John Hines style team than it did before. Now, as we said, they, they are less skilled now, but they might be a bit hungrier grittier, whatever you want to use. I think that fits John Hines's mindset a little bit more. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll say this. I mean, he, he technically brought in Barry Trotz. If you want to go all the way far back to that point, which I think he was an excellent hire for what the predators needed for that big chunk of time to start a franchise. You know, the move to Peter Laviolette paid off with a trip to the Stanley cup, which is 
the line of demarcation for where this franchise is now today versus where it was before. Like it is the cup run is the line of demarcation for like expectations, fan base being more active, the branding being all over the city. Like it, that cup run changed everything. And that's Peter Laviolette's doing. So you get credit for that. Uh, we'll find out about Hines. So I don't know. B plus. I, I, I think know. when you look at the fact that he, that David has been in charge of this franchise for 20 years and they've had three head coaches. I mean, find another franchise in any sport that has had that sense of coaching stability. It doesn't happen very often. And and their number of trips to the playoffs. Right. So I think think David gets high marks for his coaching decisions. B B plus then A minus? Yeah. You're a good grader. Go ahead and give him the A. I would say a B plus. I I think it ultimately, we... I don't have enough of a sample to to dock points or give points for John Hines yet. Per usual, with almost all of these topics and subjects that we are grading David Poyle on, almost all of it hinges on the very next year. Yes. <laughs> or the next two years. So yes. we'll get to that. AHL. Let's include the AHL and the development system of, of the Predators area. we got to move quickly here through these last two. But Milwaukee has turned into one of the best AHL franchises. Yes. That is... I guess a direct responsibility of David Poyle. So does he get credit for how good that franchise program team unit is being handled, run, managed, and developed? Certainly. Um, and Scott Nickel, who is the Predators uh, Director of Player Development, I believe is his official title, um, also functions as the GM of the Milwaukee Admirals. And, and, and previously, Paul Fenton, who was an assistant GM, uh, was the Admirals GM. Uh, Milwaukee has become a a very, very good AHL team. We saw it this past season. They were the best team in the league when this league shut down. Um, Carl Taylor was the coach of the year. Uh, He's done a phenomenal job. Um, Of course, this sort of goes back to the drafting and developing. Um, No, I, the, the Predators have done a good job putting a, a product on the ice in Milwaukee that can win games and it's interesting because different teams have different uses for their AHL teams. There are teams that wanted to simply be a breeding ground. That winning is winning, of course, is important, but it, but development is first and foremost on their minds. I, and it's, as a fan, I don't care about how many games yes. Milwaukee wins. There are there are AHL teams that winning Calder Cups is very important to yeah. them. I mean, when I was in Washington, their farm team, the Hershey Bears one of the most storied franchises in the AHL, they, they put a lot of emphasis on winning Calder Cups, which means they sign a lot of players to, you know, AHL veterans, guys that, you know, like right. your Crash David, the Crash Davises right, right. of the AHL, to use a Bull Durham reference. I was going to say that's the, a the, the, baseball the reference. The Predators don't do, the, Predator, the Predators don't do a ton of that. I mean, they have guys signed to AHL contracts, but they're younger guys that maybe can play their way into NHL deals eventually. I, I like that strategy better. Anyway. Um, so I think they do a really good job. Um, okay. So I, I think they certainly deserve a, a high grade for that. Okay. Uh, how about re-signings? And this is an interesting one because our, like at, at a couple of years ago, I would have said, you know, Forsberg deal, Forsberg's deal was an exceptional job by David Poyle of getting a good contract. Um, was, was Ekholm's deal... I feel like that is it's aged extremely well. A lot of a lot of a lot of David's deals have aged well. Um, 
except for the new ring. So here's what I feel like he did. You tell me if I'm wrong. It felt like he was very good at paying a player early, yes. getting him to take a small discount, yes. and getting him locked up for longer. Yes. And lately, it has been paying premiums for those players, Johansson, Arvidsson, Yossi, Ellis in particular. I wouldn't necessarily say Arvidsson is a premium. I would I would say that Arvidsson is one of the... The better deals. The better deals, okay. the, using your you know, initial example of getting a guy to sign long-term okay. to a lower cap hit. I mean, $4.25 million for Victor Arvidsson, considering how important he has been to this team, how many goals yeah. he has scored, is a really good deal. Callie Yarncroke, six, mil- six years, $2 million. That's that could be a good deal. Sissons, Sissons, you know, two point five, two point six. Um, I I think it's less of a good deal than than Arvidsson and Yarn Arvidsson and Yarncroke, but I still think it's a solid deal. I mean, I, I think Ryan Ellis's contract has become is becoming a steal. Um, early returns were not great because he was playing hurt um, and had knee surgery. Um, and missed half a half a season a couple of years ago, but I think you saw this past season when he was healthy before and after the Winter Classic, uh, when he was concussed, that he was playing at an elite level. He and Roman Yossi have been great. I think Roman's contract could turn out to be a steal that's if good. he pl- if he plays the I way he's believe, been playing. I can't believe you're that's fifteen million dollars a year, and you're like, oh, it's a steal. And, but when you're you, but you're not wrong when you consider yeah. the level of talent yeah. and their and their defensive partners and they're really good together. I mean, I, it's I, a lot of money. I, it is a lot of money, but then you think of the fact that they're not paying a lot of money to their goaltenders right now. I yeah, mean, their their de facto starting goaltender is making one and a half million dollars against the cap. Um, so. Um, you then, know, then they're way overpaying for their backup goaltender. I mean, right. Well, four. Well, they're not. It's it's not like they're six, six and a half total for your two goaltenders is pretty good. It's not like they're Las Vegas. I mean, Ve- yeah. Robin Leonard's making five, and I think Flurry's making seven. You Yikes. know, so it's Yikes. not like that. I, I think Forsberg deal is Forsberg's deal is good. Atcom's deal is good. I think Ryan Johansson's deal has not aged well. Um, it's teetering on the edge of bad. I think. Um, I, you know, I, I think Rocco Grimaldi's deal is smart. Um, you know, so I, I think David Poyle has done a fairly good job of making yeah. those yeah. re-signings, prioritizing the players that they have been re-signing. Um, so I, I think he's done fine there. I don't know if it's, you know, an A plus, you know, it's probably maybe in the B plus to B range. Yeah. And I think there's still, you know, Ekholm, Forsberg, Fabro all coming up in the next couple of years. So there's going to be some, to me, it's all about the big decisions. If Ellis's contract works out, Yossi, Johansson, if those guys all work out over the long term and they, which there's no indication that Yossi and Ellis wouldn't work out over the long term. But if you, if you look at the high priced big ticket items, if they don't work out, then we'll go back to this conversation in three or four years and say, oh, those were bad decisions. You know, Shea Weber's contract changed. Like, I remember being around the fans when they signed that deal after the offer sheet, right, from Philly, and people were like, heck yeah, Shea Weber's back. Like, nobody wanted Shea Weber to go. Fans didn't care about the money. And then they started looking at, like, you know, if he retires after he got traded and then they could be on the hook for $20 million and, like, yes. all the dead money stuff. Cap going, recapture. Yeah, and we're going... Thing. And people started losing their minds about that contract. So it does... There is some revisionist history, but there also kind of has to be some revisionist history at some point when it comes to the big ticket items that you are re-signing. But Ryan Johansson, he hasn't let anybody hit the market that Ryan he wanted. Ryan Johansson, at the time of his signing, you had to do it. 
I mean, it was yeah. right after the yeah. Stanley Cup final. We yeah. talked about how great he was. You know, what might have been if he hadn't been injured. It was it. He right. was in the right place at the right time. Now, was it an overpay? Yes. Has it? Has he lived up to the expectations of the contract? No. Um, but like, I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight it's not a good contract. But I, I'm not sure. It's same thing as you were saying with Shea Weber. I'm not sure if anyone at the time would have said, "Man, right. eight million dollars for eight years of Ryan Johansson." You know, that's not good. But it's it, it's it, like a Pujols deal. Like you know, the first couple of years are going to be pretty good, and then you're not really sure about the last three. So really, what dis- defines it is the middle the middle years, and that's where we are with the Ryan Johansson deal right now. We're in the middle years. We'll find out what that looks like over the next few years. All right, enough is enough. We've done all the grading. We've looked at all the subjects. We've t- we've done all the homework. We need to to continue with this silly school analogy. Uh, to me, and, and I'll give you my answer, and then Adam, I'll let you go. To me, this is the final exam for David Poyle. I do not think, Predators fans, listen to me. I do not think there should be a move made in the front office of this organization right now. You have given him the final exam. You you gave him the freedom to make the move at coach. You gave him the freedom to make the changes on the roster this offseason. This is why we started this podcast with the very first episode saying, is this the most important offseason in Predators history? And the answer for David Poyle is, you betcha. So to me, you see this effort through. And at the end of this effort, whatever that looks like, whether that's six months, eight months, a year, or two seasons, I don't think it's any more than two seasons, maybe even just one, you have to let this work itself out, and then you give David Poyle the final grade. That to me, and that's operating in a vacuum without a succession plan, without knowing who would take over, without a, a primo option to go higher. To me, this is the final exam. Do all these changes work? Does the coaching change work? Does the personnel change work? Do the players work? Do all the resignings work? Do all the trades work? Like everything now comes down to the next hockey season and maybe the next two seasons. And you have to say to yourself, if it works... Then he's built up enough equity to, to keep his job and, and try it again. If it doesn't work, that's probably the end of it. When I think about what that day will be like, because it's going to happen at some point, David Poyle will not be the GM of this team forever, um, even though he it seems like it just because of how long he's been around. Um, I, I can't imagine a scenario where he does not leave under where he does not leave under good terms. And typically, in a situation like the one that David finds himself in, teams will, quote-unquote, promote their GM to a title David already has, President of Hockey Operations, and slide somebody underneath him as the GM. For example, several years ago, Paul Holmgren was the longtime GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. When they hired Ron Hextall to take over, they bumped Paul Holmgren up to president of hockey operations. Recently, the Vegas Golden Knights, they named Kelly McCrimmon their GM. George McPhee, their original GM, remained in the president of hockey ops role. So, in my mind, if there is a time when David Poyle is no longer the GM, and this is just ba- this is just a guess, but a, maybe an educated guess, that David will continue to be a member of the Predators front office. He may not be the point man on certain things, but he will still be involved in decision-making. He just may not be the ultimate decision-maker. So there, I cannot imagine a scenario in which 
the Predators ownership rides David Poyle out on the rail. That's not going to totally happen. Agree. I totally That's agree. That's not going to happen. Um, not after every single year of work. It's exactly. not how you do people. Exactly. So if there, if and when David Poyle is no longer the GM of this team, he will still be a front office fixture, in my opinion. So, you know, the, the, the natural question then is, well, when he isn't the GM, who will be the GM? And that's a tough question to answer right now, just because, you know, with David being in the job for as long as he has, there really hasn't necessarily been a need to d- dig into, you know, the succession plan, so to speak. There is a sense. If, if Paul Fenton hadn't failed miserably in yeah. Minnesota, yes. you could easily point to that and say that would be a, a person to go acquire, right? You know, it's sort of like the NFL coaching tree, right? You t- exactly. You, you you bring in people you know, and which him not doing a good job in Minnesota might actually bolster David Poyle's case. Yes, to be GM technically, perhaps. Um, you know, there is a sense. I mean, there's there's a sense among fans, and then some people I talk to around the league, whether rightly or wrongly, that David's son Brian is being groomed to become the next GM. You know, they, you know, Brian has been a part of the organization for a long time. I don't know the, I don't have the exact number in front of me in terms of how long he's been with the team, but he's worked his way up to become the assistant general manager. He works in concert with David in terms of contract negotiations, arbitration cases. He's sort of the point person on a lot of the capology stuff. Yes, he 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 is very much he is very much involved in those conversations. Um, but when a, when a player is negotiating with the Predators, their agent rather, they are dealing with both Brian and David. Right. And and there and I cannot speak I cannot speak intricately about the dynamic, uh, you know, the dynamic, the power dynamic, so to speak, between David or Brian, or what Brian would do differently than David, or you know, so on and so forth. Uh, that is something right. Like, that, what what philosophically could right. he have very I different need, than his that, father? That we don't is know. A, that is a topic that I, I endeavor to dive deeper into at some point. But at this very moment, I, I can't speak to that. But you know, one I, I remember I wrote a story shortly after the season ended about what we're sort of talking about: the pressure being on David, and someone you know, someone in the league, you know, told me that. Um, you know, perhaps David would be wise to broaden his inner circle. You know, a lot of the people who have worked for hmm. David in the front office have been people who have worked for David for a very long time. You know, Jeff Kelty, assistant GM, I believe, has been with the organization, if not from day one, very close to it in a variety of roles as a scout, as the director of amateur scouting, and now as the assistant GM. Um, you know, uh, you know, Jeff ha- has a has a great reputation. Um, when it comes to when it comes to drafting, um, but there aren't a, there aren't a lot of people in the front office who are outsiders, yes, or whatever. <laughs> you know, perhaps David could do. You know, this league source um, suggested to me that perhaps David would be better off widening that inner circle. Interesting. So maybe that's something that happens. I, I don't know. I guess my my last question for you is: so it sounds like you kind of agree that this is his last crack. I don't know build how a many. Champion. Yeah, I don't know how many more opportunities he is going to get. Um, I mean, the, the real. How many does he want? He, this right. may be the last one he wants. Like he may retire. Like I wonder. I, I wonder if he would have. Like this is. I don't know. This is just me speaking. I wonder if David would have retired if they won the Stanley Cup in 2017. I don't think that's an unfair question. I wonder. You know, go out on top, right? Right uh, off into yeah. the sunset. Now, I think. I think guys like you and I look at 
winning a championship and going, all right, dude, go like, just celebrate, walk away for the rest of your life. And that's not necessarily how these uber competitive coaches, players, and GMs sort of think and operate. You know, he wanted, like he got to all time winning as GM, right? After the cup, he got to what USA hockey hall of fame, right? After the cup, yes. he, he's, you know, there's some thing, there's some milestones that he has accrued since the cup. And, and so I think you could argue sticking around is what he wanted to do. I, my, my question is, like you said, I don't think it would ever be unceremonious or disrespectful in any way. Like, they're not going to fire David Poyle. But when, in a closed-door meeting, when they say, all right, David, we, we're going to remove you as the final decision-maker on everything and install whoever, my question for you is, what is the time frame for that discussion? Where is that one season? Is that half a season? Is that two seasons? I feel like because you're telling me fans are upset right now today. I feel like, I feel like it's. I mean, of course, it's at least this season. I mean, David has been making moves. He's not going anywhere this season. Um, maybe one season after that. I think it's two. I think it's two. Yeah. I think it's this season because of the uncertainty of it. Um, perhaps that buys him time. Um, but if the following season, 21-22, is a normal 82-game season and we go back to pre-corona times, you know, that might be it. I mean, I, I think he deserves at least two more years. Okay. And then from there, if they aren't making the progress, they need, I don't think it's dependent on winning a Stanley Cup. No, I also think it would have to be really obvious in the first year. That, that none of the moves worked, right? That the coach yeah. didn't work, that the free agents didn't work, that the trade didn't work. Yeah. Duchesne would be terrible again. Like, I think it has to all fall apart for them to say, you know, I don't, let's move on from the guy who's built this franchise from the ground up. Yeah. So, yeah. It sounds like we're in agreement that this is his last sort of run at it. Mm-hmm. And if, and, and here's what I would say if you're a Preds fan who doesn't want David Poyle to be your GM, or if you're a Preds fan who does, well, like, you're sort of rooted, like, this is the, this is the last crack at it. This is the last to, to use a Michael Jordan. This is the last dance, right? Like this is it for David Poyle, you know, whether or not they win a cup or not, we'll see, uh, you know, right now the roster doesn't look cup worthy, but like you said, that's not necessarily how we're going to evaluate all of the moves and the success. David Poyle's had an un- unbelievable career and he's done amazing things. It doesn't mean he's still the guy to lead the team. And so we'll find out over the next couple of years. Yeah. I think I agree with you in the sense that I think, you know, David, you know, deserves the opportunity to see this through for a couple of more years. But if we're getting to a point, if we're, you know, if this gold standard podcast is still going two years from now and the president, why would it not Adam? (laughs) We never know in these uncertain times what might happen, but you're right. It'll be a live stream television radio broadcast all over the internet. Who knows what 5g will bring. (laughs) Um, But you know, in two years from now, if we're sitting here and the Predators still haven't won a cup and they haven't made progress towards winning a cup, then it's time to have that con- like a serious yeah. conversation yeah. about it. Not that this wasn't a serious conversation, very serious, but it was time to have a serious conversation. I don't think we can give any more information about David Poyle than than what we've done today on the show. I think you've got your you, you've got a complete layout of all the course material. He has a sweet tooth. That's that's something we haven't talked about. I have a problem with sweets as well. Yeah, he, he David definitely has a sweet tooth, and he likes wine. We know that. I remember, was it? I remember it was at a game during the season. I don't know. I, th- I think it might have been his birthday, 
where they were celebrating something. And in the pregame meal downstairs, they just had a whole dessert cart of everything was chocolate. It's my man right there. He loves him some chocolate. That's my man right there. Sign me up for that. And and for somebody who is very mild-mannered when you speak to him, um, I'm sure people listening to this podcast have interacted with David at some point. An incredibly, um, you know, gregarious person. Um, He is so competitive. Oh, yes. There is is an intensity underneath the surface. Yes, absolutely. He is very competitive. He's the kind of guy that will bang his fist in the press box or scream. I've heard him. Um, he, uh, He wants to win. He really wants to win. That's what's keeping him going every day. Well, you sure as hell don't want the other kind of guy. No, you do. <laughs> you don't want to be Bill O'Brien. <laughs> there you have it. Did win some divisions. Uh, all right. Do you have any comments about Doc Emmerich retiring? I do want to mention this at the bo- yeah, the last end of the podcast because uh, he is one. Of, I think he is the best play-by-play announcer for any sport in American professional sports today. I think he's the best. Yeah, better than Al Michaels. Better than. I don't know. You you pick a person, he's better. Kevin Harlan. Yeah. Who? So we like you name it. In, I think in he's terms better. Chris of, Fowler. In terms of broadcasters who are in similar positions to Doc Emmerich in their respective sports, you think of Mike Breen. Mike Breen. You think of very good call. You think of uh, Joe Buck. You think of. Um, you think of. I mean, I mean Chris Fowler's the top Chris one. Chris Fowler. Mike Tirico, football. Mike Tirico, um, Musburger. I don't know if he counts I don't know anymore. If Brent Musburger, M- Brent Jim Nance, Musburger, Jim Nance, Jim Nance. Yes, um, yeah. I Marv mean, Albert. I, I I think he he certainly has a lot of good company. Um, for a sport that is not as central to the American fabric as all the other sports we're discussing, Mike Emmerich is synonymous with hockey in the United States of America. And I think that gives him a leg up on the others because hockey does not have the same national pull in America as college football and the NFL and baseball and the NBA. So I think that Doc Emmerich, absolutely, when you can, I mean, think about the biggest moments in hockey over the past 20 years. He, he lends his voice to almost all of them. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't, I, you're not, you are not stretching it by saying that. It, it's a, there's a Vince Scully quality. Of, yes. That's like, a good analogy because he, people don't realize Vince Scully was calling Dodgers games when they were in Brooklyn <laughs> before they moved to Los Angeles. And so like you talk about being synonymous, you don't think of Dodger baseball without Vince Scully. Right. And, and I think that, I think that's to your point of, of, you know, and I heard a story about him one time, and I think he was telling it that he he doesn't look at he. And again, you can fact check me on this, Adam. That he doesn't really look at numbers. This is how good he is at his job. That he doesn't really look at numbers when he's calling the game. Because how many seats in these arenas are like way, way, way high up? And you know, well, the broadcast booths are where the press boxes are yeah, for the most part. And at Bridgestone, that's like way up in the rafters. I, he he knows by how you skate who you are. And I always thought that was an amazing skill that he could tell who was on the rush because of how they were skating with the puck. And that's that's a skill that you only pick up and gain and have because you've done like a billion games and worked in the industry for, you know, 30 years. I haven't had too many opportunities to 
converse one-on-one with Doc Emmerich. But the one thing that I'm always taken by when you speak to him is for somebody who is as universally known as Mike Emmerich in the hockey community, he makes you feel when you are speaking to him like the most important person in the room. And he cares more about you that, I mean, think about, you know, if you are you know, somewhat of a celebrity, people are asking questions of you. And perhaps there's an expectation that people are asking questions of you because you're the famous person. Mike Emmerich cares more about the people he's talking to than, than let's, you know, than talking about himself. And, you know, even as someone who's, like I said, has only met him and talked to him a couple of times, you know, you feel, you leave the conversations with him feeling like, you know, you, you, you feel good about yourself because he seemed to take an interest in you, even yeah. if it was only for a couple of minutes. He seemed genuinely interested in hearing what you had to say. And, you know, that's that's a quality that's lost uh, lost on most people, especially <laughs> nowadays. I was going to say, you just say it's just lost. It's just lost. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, so No, um, you're right. Yeah. I've never met him, but I've interviewed him a few times. And even in, in an on-air, red light is on sort of setting he's still that that comes across so uh hockey is 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 he's alive by the way he's not dying he's just leaving and retiring the sport but i I do think hockey is losing the best playboy play voice in all of sports and i'm not just saying that because it's a a hockey podcast i'm saying that as a broadcaster who has studied this stuff for two decades i think he's better than all the names you rattled off and i it doesn't mean that those guys aren't great too i just think he's the best at what he does and uh i think hockey's gonna miss his voice and as you mentioned, it's been two decades of every single major moment has had his voice attached to it. And, yeah, and not, and not just cool. the NHL. I mean, the Olympics too. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Um, yeah, if if you were to go back and watch, you know, the greatest NHL or U.S. Olympic highlights of the past twenty years in hockey, it's just his voice. Ninety-five percent of them are probably <laughs> Doc Emmerich. Right, with a with a couple of Darren Pangs mixed in. Who knows? My my man Gary Thorne there on ESPN. He was the best. I, I, you know what? That was the old, uh, was that the old Melrose broadcast team? It was, it was Gary Thorne and Bill Clement were oh, the, that's right. um, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's, that's how I watched hockey in the nineties. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, you know, but I, you know, doc, doc was, you know, I think he was right before he became the national voice. I think he was doing devil's broadcast. So he was a local broadcaster too. He's the man. Um, but yeah, he's great. Adam, anything else you'd like to add? We've already gone, as, as usual, we go long. So. No, nope. I'm all talked out, my friend. <laughs> Great to see you. Pay for good journalism. Subscribe to The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at Adam Vingan. You can follow me as well, at Braden Gall. That, of course, was the layout of all the things you need to know and evaluate on your own of the Predators general manager, David Poyle. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell all your friends. Share the show. That's how we grow this bad boy. For Adam Vingan, I'm Braden Gall. This has been the gold standard on the 440 Sports Network.